0: Stage, stage, stage door Johnny Not a lot of rhymes
1: with Johnny But here it is, stage door Johnny Hello and welcome to Stage Door Johnny, the podcast about theatre and life And life in the theatre I'm Jonathan Cake and my guest this week is an old friend of mine And a brilliant actor He's the wonderful Toby Stevens Now I'm so grateful to Toby for sitting down with me we sat down and talked quite recently beginning of February 2023 in the top at the top of his uh house in East London just between a sort of Peloton running machine a couple of Swiss balls maybe some military bands Toby is in the business of keeping his shit tight <laughs> and it was an amazing chat now you may not know that Toby's mum, maybe maybe you do know, some of you know, some of you don't know, Toby's mum is the national, no, global, no, universal treasure, the galaxy treasure that is Maggie Smith, the sublime Maggie Smith. You know her from Downton and everything else. But she's also, you know, Maggie Smith. Um, You may not know that his dad was... Also a great actor. Robert Stevens was a legendary hellraiser, as Toby talks about extremely candidly in our chat, and probably denied the glorious career that he should have had by his own predilections, but also by the machinations, as Toby tells us, of Laurence Olivier. My goodness, we're compiling a dossier on what Larry Olivier could do to other actors. Richard Hare told me that Olivier was a piece of work, and somebody else mentioned his mastery of the dark arts. Well, we're about to hear an earful from Toby about what he did to his mum and dad. Anyway, Toby has this wonderful career of his own, but he was so generous to talk about his parents so movingly, as you'll hear. And... In doing so, I think he sort of threw a glorious light on a kind of golden age of 20th century theatre acting and forward into the 20th century for his brilliant career. Anyway, I was just so grateful to him for taking the time and talking so honestly and sweetly and brilliantly about all this stuff. Oh, it's so good, it must be in two parts, but basically I think you should always assume now that I just gab on to my guests so much that it has to be a two-parter and it's generally such good stuff that it's impossible to make it into one.
0: Gentlemen of the Stage Door Johnny Company, this is your trainee stage manager here, and this is your beginner's call. Mr. Stevens and Mr. Cake to the stage, please. This is your beginner's.
1: Oh, my dear man, you're so, so sweet to do this. I oh my do God, so I'm sweet. flattered. No, don't, be, don't be crazy. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you. The question that I normally start off with is... Um, Do you remember the first time you ever set foot in a theatre? And we have to get this out of the way early on. Given your family, there's a sort of preconception out there about you that you were probably born in a (laughs) theatre. That you were born in the crush bar of the (laughs) Theatre Royal Haymarket. (laughs) Were you around theatres all the time
2: growing up? My mum actually gave birth to me and then started rehearsals for Hedda of Garbler within, I think, a week. No. Yeah. Really? So literally, I, I was sort of, at the time, I was a minor inconvenience to her career.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that play of all yes, plays. Yes, I know, I know. The cheerful, least <laughs> the least mothering insect I know. possibly imagine, <laughs> except perhaps Medea. The first time I remember actually
2: physically going to a theatre was when my mum did Peter Pan and I think it was at the Coliseum. And Dave Allen played yeah. Captain Hook. Did he? Who was a great friend of the family's. And so I went to go and see two people I knew. And I I was very, very small and... Yeah, it was during the winter of discontent. So I remember it being there was no heating on, and we all were bundled up in coats. And watching this show, and then going around to see my mother in her dressing room afterwards, and saying, "Where were you? We just had saw the most wonderful, (laughs) the most wonderful play." Because I didn't understand that she was
1: And you didn't recognise You didn't recognise No, I, I was
2: completely transfixed by this experience. Oh, I was completely transported. It? And I didn't understand what she did at the time because <laughs> I, I was too young to have like, any concept.
1: How, roughly how old would you have been? I must have been about... Three, 74? Four, winter of Discontent. 3-4.
2: Like yeah, it was during them, but oh. all of those strikes and everything like that. I remember. And you it didn't me. know
1: that it was. I your had family. no idea,
2: and I went around and I was like, "Where were you?" We just saw the most wonderful. Did, did Maggie think of that as the greatest review <laughs> you could have given her? No, she was actually furious, but I didn't realise. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> the whole point of this is that you know... I only did this job for years. <laughs> His <laughs> credulous child like, <laughs> put oh. two and
1: two together. How brilliant yeah. that you. you you didn't recognise her, and when you did recognise that it was her, did it seem like that was something? I mean, it's probably far, far too far back in the midst of time to remember. Did it feel like there was something magical about that transformation?
2: Oh, totally. I mean, I obviously I became aware of it right. after that, and then and then when I would go and see subsequent plays with her in or my father in, I was mortified. Were you? I was deeply embarrassed. As they, were, they were up there behaving in this extraordinary way And pretending to be people It was just embarrassing It was just torture <laughs> um, But I loved everything that went on around it and, and my parents would take me to see plays Especially when I was a bit older And we were living in Canada And my mum was part of this uh, She did this festival at, in Stratford, Ontario Yeah, sure this director Robin uh, Phillips um, impres- Robin Phillips, yeah. yeah. And he he brought all these incredible people to, to Stratford. That's right. Yeah, I remember going to see Peter
1: Ustinov play King Leah. Imagine that must have been the most extraordinary thing. Uh, it Maggie, was Maggie Smith at the height of her yeah. extraordinary fame. But she persuaded to go to Darkest Ontario. Yeah. And- to somebody else's theatre, and must, I think it I came from a
2: persuasive. I think it came from a combination of things. Well, she said to me, "Well, oh, it was because it was because you know they all turned on me. All the critics turned on me. I was their darling, and then suddenly they started." I think it was the head of Garbler. I think she got mixed reviews for it and went, "Right, screw you. I'm I'm going really? away." And then, and also, she said, "Well, they would never have cast me as the parts that I got cast in in, in Stratford because oh, it, you know all those classic Shakespeare." They wouldn't have cast me in those in, uh, if
1: I'd stayed. Perhaps it was your fault yeah. because you being born probably <laughs> slightly undermined her concentration on head of Totally. Got the and bad reviews. And that was the bad reviews. Yes. And, like, and one I'm, thing led to another. I, <laughs> I'm going to go to area. <laughs> In Canada, to Canada, I love that it was like the sort of Rolling Stones leaving for the south of France after yeah. the drugs bust of
2: Keith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with the huge taxation rate as well. <laughs> I mean, you know. but anyway, anyway, we went to Canada and I and I saw all of these plays. I saw yeah. all these Shakespeare plays, Ibsen, Strindberg, Chekhov, and I I I loved the fact that I would see these people. In the cast as normal people, and then yeah. I would go, and I would see them transform, and they would suddenly be these, these other persona, yeah. and and um, yeah, and and I was deeply embarrassed by anything that my mother was <laughs> doing. So,
1: when did that change, with her or your dad or both? Was there ever a point? Has it ever got unembarrassed Yeah, no. I
2: I think when the moment I seriously understood the complexity, rather than being an actor, being being some sort of idea that I had in my head, some projection that I, that's what I'm going to do. When I actually realized, yes, it might be something I want to do, but there's a difference between something I want to be and being as good as that, like being able to do that. And then recognizing, oh my God, they can do this. And how do they do that? And then also being grown up enough to, you know, hear my mum discussing what she went through, the various sort of struggles she had huh. in performances and wanting to achieve a certain thing. She'd go, I'm still, you know, she'd already have opened in a play and the most incredible reviews, but she'd still be fussing Agonizing. about, you know, one bit in this scene that she just couldn't quite Get, you know, and that really made an impression on me. It was Mm. just like, my God, the work is never done. But also, it's really difficult to get to that level where you are that precise about Mm. what you're doing. And then when I see her now doing stuff, I just have the most huge respect for Mm. her. Abilities, but also the fact that I know that it isn't just she doesn't just waltz on stage with this natural effusion of, you know, yes, she has a natural talent, but it's it's work, yeah. you
1: know. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. So there was a point in there was a point in your growing up where your mum started to talk to you as someone who could hear that side of the conversation yeah. about the work. Mm. It, would you have been a teenager? She was a bit sort of like the ancient mariner
2: in that we were the only people at home and she was going to tell us one way or another that she was deeply frustrated. And, and there was this... And I quickly understood there was a process with her where everything was always a nightmare. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the cast is a nightmare. The director's a nightmare.
1: I was that always the a play, play is a disaster. Would that be a particular phase of the job that would repeat itself? Yeah it was always the pro the process
2: was everything is a nightmare this is going to be a disaster and then of course she'd open and she'd get the most amazing reviews and everybody would love her and then and then she would come home and it would be again she would just she would obsess about things that were wrong in the play yeah. that she hadn't got right yeah that were annoying her, performances that were annoying her, somebody who was fumbling a laugh. They couldn't, you know, you know the most awful <laughs> sin of like, it's there on a platter and you can't, you know. <laughs> Deliver it. you are like, deeply annoying. But this all
1: sounds, insecurity or animus or or all the sort of, the obsessiveness of the continuing work doesn't sound very enticing to a young person trying to figure out What they want to do with their lives—it sounds quite off-putting. But you weren't off-put; you found it intriguing.
2: I mean, the thing is, I from an early age, I realised that I was never going to be. There weren't many things that I was really good at. There were, you know, and I had all the fantasies of careers of being a pilot or, you know, being a surgeon or whatever. And I very quickly realised that academically, I was never going to achieve those things. I mean, I just was not. Academic in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nor, any normal sense. Right. I just couldn't I couldn't do that at school. I'd scraped by in all of my exams, and I I sort of eventually got O levels as they were at the time and A levels, but they weren't particularly. I was never going to go to university or anything like that. And also, I wasn't heroic on the sports field either. I mean, I I I knew that but the one thing that I could do. Because my my parents perversely sent me to school, with, which had no drama at all. Oh, really? No, and in fact, was if calibrate? you said anything, any any interest that you would have had in drama would have meant that your head would have been pulverized because <laughs> it was very flushed down a toilet. Sporty, or, yeah, sporty, non arty, filled with farmers' kids, very sort of agrarian, sort of like you know. They were all huge. Right. And uh, so I kept it really under my hat. That's really where my interests lay. So the only way I could really experience anything dramatic was doing poetry recitals, where you would learn poetry and you would recite the poem. And normally it was like, well, you just do the longest poem and you get through it and you win. Right. <laughs> you know, whoever did the longest <laughs> poem. It's a and, and I remember one year, uh, it was the first year I did, I was I was doing it. And I remember doing Dulcet, the Coram And I, I think we had a choice of like three poems. And I, that was the one that I kind of went, wow, that's a really effect." I mean, yeah. I didn't really understand what... I mean, I understood it was about the First World War. I understood that it was really horrible, what was going on, the gas attack or whatever. But I didn't really kind of
1: grasp the, you know. But there's theatre in that poem. Absolutely. So and it
2: has this journey. It gas, has a real com- Gas boys, an ecstasy the of fumbling, fumbling, yeah.
1: Fitting the clumsy gas mask. Uh, what Just what in or time or whatever. Just
2: in time. And then, and then, the, then him seeing this guy yes. writhing and yes, foaming yes, and yes, dying yes. and then. And, and 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 this sort of the sarcasm of the ending of the kind mm-hmm. of you know the cynicism of like you know Delca at the chorus
1: the old lie
2: yeah the old lie and I and it and it, it really I, I remember just going kind of reading this thing it sent chills down my and I, I anyway I learned this thing and then I remember when, well I'm going to inhabit this sort of my natural impulse was I'm going to give it. Some emotion And I'm going to give it something underneath Something to hold it up Rather than it just be this sort of declamation. Yeah, exactly De-clamour. Just this chain of lines yeah. that come out And I got up and I performed this this piece I remember these You know, they were sitting at a table There was about four of them Looking at me And it was like I was an alien creature I just landed in front of them I didn't quite know what the hell yeah. They were watching. Yeah, and did, they got Yes, and they applauded me, and they were just like, they were completely blown away. And I and I realised that in that moment that I just because it felt so good for me, it was so freeing. Mm. I suddenly went. I suddenly went. This is what I do. This is wow. what I can do. The next day, the um, the headmaster got me to stand up in in, in, the, in after the lunch and do it in front of the whole school oh jeez second performance didn't go yeah. as well as well <laughs> as well second <laughs>
1: night <laughs> but
2: still you know and, and I and then I kind of went on to win all uh, these other things from that and, and it was sort of became known as the, what other things know. Know. Well, well other I, other poetry recitals okay. I would get that was my one kind of thing where I <laughs> went you were touring don't I you the no, can... S- around a, an arts around council the grant South,
1: South. <laughs> South
2: Coast. <laughs> um, yeah, it was... Uh, that.
1: So that was when I kind of went, hmm, I can do this. Because there was a little scent in your nostrils Then I promise to get off talking about your mum and dad because of all mm. the people, all the science of, of actors that I know, you are the one who, who I think most of all, I think, has carved out this completely separate identity for yourself. But I'm... Of course, it's the family business. You know, we all had mothers and fathers who came to watch us in our first school plays. Very few of us had Maggie Smith or mm. Robert Stevens come to cast a yeah. eye over your early attempts at this thing. Mm. Of course, none of us had those parents who cast those kind of shadows, whether you you mm. you know, whether you like it or not. I remember you telling me years ago, because we first met each other at Stratford-on-Avon in... 1992, Two, three, three. yeah, doing Tamburlaine the Great. <laughs> and then at the Barbican, we did, we did Wallenstein, Wallenstein. Yeah, by yeah. Schiller. That's yeah. right. But I remember you telling me an extraordinary story. Was, was Laurence Olivier your godfather? He wasn't a godfather,
2: but he was very much a presence. Um, So when we moved back from Canada, uh, my parents moved back to the UK, and he lived down the road. They lived down the road. We were in West Sussex. They were in a place called Stenning, which was near Brighton.
1: Do you remember the story that I'm alluding to? I I remember you telling me. He asked you what you wanted to do with your life. Mm. My stepfather, Beverly Cross, was sitting next
2: to him on one side. He was at the head of the table, and I was on the other side of him. And he kept on saying, Bev, Bev, who, who's, who's the boy? Who's the boy? Who's the boy? And Bev kept on saying, it's, it's, um, it's Toby. It's, it's Maggie's son. Who? Maggie's son. Later on, he said, who, who's, who's the boy again? It's it's Maggie's son, Toby. Maggie, not, not Bob and and Maggie's boy. Bev said, yes, yes. And he went, what does he want to do? What does he want to do? And he said, he wants to be an actor. And he said, oh, well, you know what they say. It always skips a generation. <laughs> <laughs> this was within earshot of you. Yeah. No, I was right next to him. I was there. Party to the whole thing. Did and I look- was just like sitting next to him and and hearing him say this. And it was literally like oh. a knife had been plunged in my heart. <laughs>
1: it always in skips my a generation.
2: And I... And, um, I mean, that was fascinating watching um, him and my mum because they had a very complex relationship in many ways because he adored my mum, but also they had a very tempestuous relationship when my mum was in the National mm. because he was very controlling. Yeah. And he did. there was one wonderful story where she said, well, yeah. it's not wonderful at the time, but my mum my was uh, playing Desdemona when he was playing so, Othello guess, back guess, in the day. Yeah. He had, earlier on that day, had said, listen, I want you to be in this production. I'm doing it next year. And I want you to play this part. And she said, I can't do that, Larry. I'm sorry, because I'm doing a film. I need to earn some money and I need to do that. And he said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You can't do the film. You have to do this part. You have to do this. And she said, no, Larry, I'm not going to... You don't pay me enough money. I need to go and do this movie to earn some money. You know, I've got kids. I've got a pillow. They had this big argument. And then that night... They were doing the closet scene where, you know, when he smothers her and yeah, end, but he, And there was this thing where he used to sort of do a fake slap. Well, this night, he absolutely just walloped her. No. And she flew across. She said, that's the only night I saw stars
0: of
1: the National. Oh <laughs> God, she could even turn a piece <laughs> yeah, of yeah, workplace yeah. abuse yeah. into the yeah, most exactly. brilliant triumph of a witty comic line. <laughs> the only time I and, ever saw uh, stars and said I left all of his makeup all over, because, you know, he'd been... <laughs> Sort of covered in blue yes, polish. Yes, exactly. I mean, nothing about that story comes out well no. in 2023.
2: No. Oh my no. god! So they, yeah. Uh, How it's always interesting going around there. I mean, Joan Plowright. You know, it's is is wonderful, wife. and I, I but wife. so I used to love hanging out. And but it was always. I just remember going because that's another thing where. People assume that you've hung out because your parents are famous. You just hang out right. in these gilded sort right. of places with loads of stars. And, right. and we didn't. And in fact, my, my parents were very hermetic and very private. Right. My mum still is extremely private. Yeah. And so we didn't go out that much. So right. when we did, you were suddenly in this, you know, with with I remember that all of these big Stars being in this, you know, place, hanging out with them, Danis, and me just not knowing what to do with myself. Really, just feeling I am the most boring person in the
1: world. <laughs>
2: I was fourteen,
1: of a spotty,
2: redheaded of course, thing, self-conscious, you know, just like, oh my god!
1: Suddenly, Paul Newman is <laughs> standing in front of you. <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary life. I suppose what I'm getting at, Tobes, is that is that uh, I just think you've got the. You must have had massive clanking. Brass balls, to make your own way in that world, you know. Your brother, your brother took a different name. Yeah, professionally, actor Chris, Chris Larkin. That's, That's right. right. Was did that ever cross your mind? Were you ever keen to? Well, the the truth is,
2: I was both stupid and incredibly naive. I, I, I and I, I I I say that with great love of my
1: former... I mean, I just was so stupid and so naive. So you decide you decide you want to do it and you go off and train. Was there a part at school of... You said it wasn't a, an arty school. You didn't do many school plays. But, but was there something before you went to Lambda where you went to train, right? Was there something you did on stage that felt... Defining apart from the poem, apart from the Wilfred Owen poem, that um, is it, Wilfred Owen. Well,
2: the, the only—I so, th- I mean, actually, I, I don't. I, there wasn't really any oh. know, chance, any opportunity right. for me to do anything. And in fact, when I went to, when I took auditions for, for drama school, they went, "Look, you—you're you, too young." And you have no experience. And this is just a poem. You have yeah, to do something with exactly. a
1: poem. <laughs> it's really good. I love the way you
2: do it. No, I, I remember doing, that was, that was hilarious, was doing audition pieces. And my mum said, I'm not going to listen to them, but, but Bev will. So Bev, <laughs> my stepfather would sit there and give me notes. Very good notes. I actually. remember, I remember your
1: good. stepdad. Beverly, he was yeah. the loveliest man. He really was marvelous, marvelous. Man. He was
2: a he was a he was
1: one of a kind. He really was. What do you remember of Lambda? Was it what, what, three years you did? Was it was it a happy time?
2: Yeah, I, I remember it being very mixed. I I kind of I liked bits of it, and there are bits I just found really tedious. I mean, I I the bits that I really enjoyed were either performing or rehearsing. Hmm. You know, and I liked a bit of the voice stuff just to kind of like get that feeling of and then some of the movement stuff I found I found helpful just sort of get me out of my very rigid body, you know, and and sort of try, you know, because at that time you're so you know, when you're first starting, you're all kind of nerves
1: and you're just rigid the whole time. Yeah. And sort of learning how to English physicality which stops at the trachea. Totally.
2: (laughs) And um I I enjoyed parts of it, but I really the bits I enjoyed were really the performing and the rehearsing and working on stuff. Right. But I, I didn't like the, very much of the rest of it. Mm. I mean, I and I and I did feel that at, at the time that what it was doing was it was trying to f- strip us down and then reform us. It was into, quite brutal. Yeah, it was sort of like yeah, and, and the thing soul. is that what makes actors. What makes actors so great is that everybody has their own unique blend of whatever it is, personality, whatever, you know. And the, and so, you know, you can see Hamlet a hundred times, but, you know,
1: it's completely different. It's never going to be the same. Yeah. So all we have is our little time totally. stamp up. Our little uh, fingerprint of our exactly. personalities. With exactly. No two or it a Makes mind. it
2: utterly unique. And if you're, if they're trying to, if they're trying to get rid of that and sort of create a Lambda actor, then, right. you know, so it. it uh, when I came out, it took me a while to sort of unlearn all of that and mm. get back to like, oh, I actually just want to be myself. And I felt for a while after I came out, I was sort of imitating other people. Mm. I was imitating other performances. Yeah. I imit trying to be other performances that I'd seen rather than just going, no, I'm just going to be myself
1: and find out who that is. Was there a part or a job that helped you unpick that?
2: Um, Well, I think the one that really made me shift as an actor, it was actually came quite late in my career, really, when I look at it. It was, I did a play at the Donmar. I did a a Pinter. um, Betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. And... I'd never performed in a space like that before. I'd always been in,
1: you know, proscenium. Yeah,
2: exactly. Where you feel that you've got to fulfill this whole thing, and I and I remember doing that play and just going. It was the realization that actually I didn't really need to do about seventy percent of the shit that I was doing. Gosh, fascinating! And actually. And it it was a revelation for me because it was like, I want to get, I I really enjoyed editing out all of that stuff Uh. and just going, how far can I push this? And then the next time I had a job on a stage, on a larger stage going, oh God, I don't think I can do that in here because I'm, you know, it's a big proscenium again. And then realizing actually, no, you can. It was funny. It was just this this thing of it was more not. It wasn't to do with volume really. It was Mm -hmm. just to do with do I need all of this other stuff that I've I'm doing? All that about yeah. (laughs) All of these kind of accretions that I I I I felt that I needed. I was carrying around all this luggage of like gesture and kind of like you know you know filling it somehow Uh and actually. Then it sort of sent me on this whole kind of trajectory of going, of stripping away, of getting to the truth of something, the simplicity of it. And actually what, how rewarding that can be when you're being really honest mm. rather than actually being deeply dishonest and disingenuous about
1: whatever. And I realized actually how much I'd been doing that. God, how incredibly interesting. But at the same time thinking about your upbringing, seeing all those shows in Stratford Ontario, mm. you know, where you came from, the influences you had on your life. How could you not? I mean, in a weird way, I often think of you as a sort of, you know, through your the portal of your parents because we're all involved with our forebears, in mm. consciously or unconsciously. You are going back over the sort of the whole in a way of 20th century theatre. Well, I don't mm. know when your mum started acting professionally, but it, but, it, but it was involved in a sort of Victorian tradition, even yeah. when she started. So in a weird way, you, you've imbibed, you know, much, much more than your lifetime of theatre. And consequently, seeing those exemplars of what mm. is going on, what, what the theatre language is on stage and off stage, it's hardly surprising that you would have, you know, like we all do, as you say, as insecure young people, start imitating the thing that we think is the argot, the thing that we think is the language. How wonderful you got to a point where you felt like you could jettison or strip away.
2: Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I think everybody goes on their own journey as well. And I think it was just one of those, you know, having said that, one of the things that I really miss about, you know, like my dad... You know, was a was a real kind of force of nature, and his performances were, I mean, in anybody else's hands would have been the the, the most ham thing that you'd ever seen. In I mean, outrageous uh, stuff that he got away with, but because it was somehow he could do that, and he he was like one of the last sort of really truly heroic mm. actors, you know, of that. Mm. Again, a line that goes back, you know, to Garrick and people like yeah. that, and you know, he he was definitely part of that tradition. And I feel, I feel sad sometimes because we we can't go back there somehow. Right. right. And and the thing is that when you go and see Shakespeare productions and you see people, and you go, oh it's really clever because they do this just like they're in a movie and it's like they're just talking to one another and it's really you know and part of me goes yeah that is clever but it's also really boring because when you see you know Shakespeare doesn't write TV scripts he writes for these superhuman characters that are like demigods you know they, they aren't like just normal humans Hamlet is not your average human right And King Lear is not your average human. They live at this pitch that is, yes, they do encapsulate uh, humanity, but they also express it in this way that's so heightened. And when you see people who, when I used to watch not just my dad, but other performers where you saw them doing it at this level, which Mm. was just... It was you were transfixed by it, but also you were really transported by it, right. and it was incredibly sort of you know moving and bravura kind of thing. And and the thing is that I I feel that we've lost a bit of that now. You know you, you know that that has gone. What um, was
1: the, what was there a particular performance? One that sticks out of his? Well, I remember, remember going to see him in, in
2: by. Falstaff. Was amazing, but I think King Lear. It, it was not the greatest production in the world, but his performance was just like. I mean, I I I'd sat through King Lear quite a few times uh, when I went before I'd gone see that. Sure. And it's four hours long, three and a half hours long, and everybody's desperate to get to the toilet <laughs> or like, get me a drink. I go like. <laughs> but at the end of this performance. I literally looked around, everybody's crying. Yeah. Literally, men, women, children. I mean, they, they were weeping. Mm. And I was like, I have never, ever seen that before. And I, there, was a, there was a thing that I saw him do where he was talking about, you know, men are, what is it? Men are, it's, it's talking about men and women. Women are... You know what is it? it uh, it's something all below. He's right. talking about the sulphur. You know, like basically this humus, whole thing about yes. sex, and right, right, right. You know, it was all about. And I remember him doing this speech, and he did this gesture. Where he put his hands together in this kind of
1: vaginal, a,
2: a vagi- Yeah, basically together, like it was. And he he did this whole speech, and he brought it up to his face, and just wow. sort of well. And I mean, it was this kind of thing where I, and in anybody else's hands, it would have just been totally like, what are you doing? But he, it was electric. Yeah. And it was, it was also, you know, and I say this with great love for my dad, he'd lived it. He'd lived that life. He'd lived the life of a debauched Lothario. Yeah. He was that person. Yeah. And it was, he brought everything of himself to those parts. Mm-hmm. I think he was probably at, at the right age to do all of that. In a way, his was so honest, mm. but, he, but it was just a different style. Of, different
1: type of yeah, honesty. Exactly. And it was thrilling. Because it was, it was totally, closer to the scale. Yeah, and
2: that's why I say in anybody else's hands, it would just seem yeah. hair.
1: Do you feel, when you watched him do that, and when you talk about it so beautifully now, do you feel f- forgiving of him? Oh, as totally. Dad? Oh, totally. I mean, he
2: was, look. He was hopeless as a, as a father, as anybody, as, as a responsible human being, he was hopeless. <laughs> um, but he was the most fascinating and charismatic and terrifying. I mean, he could be terrifying as well, right. but he was, he was really, I mean, I still have, I've had so many experiences where like cab drivers, I'll be in the back of a cab and a cab will go, does your dad still go to that pub? No, yeah, you know, yeah, on Muswell Hill, and I go, I'll be, be like, uh, I don't know which one you're talking about. Oh, I, I had a, he's he was lovely, your dad, mm. he was wonderful, and you know, you get these people, and they tell stories about having, you know, sat down with him. He would have talked to anybody. Yes, he yes. would have, you know, and he had this incredible charisma, and when he touched people's lives, literally, they remembered it. I have nothing but admiration yeah, for that. That's glorious. And, and also, you know, I mean, he, because I had Beverly Cross, who was my stepfather, and I was very close with him,
1: I never resented it because I was like, well, I had somebody who right, stood right, in the breach. Right. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So loving and attentive. Did he ever watch you, Robert? Did he ever get yeah. some new stuff? Oh, yeah. Would he give you notes?
2: Oh, God, yes. <laughs>
1: Do you, you mean a- loads of
2: notes? And it was, it was hilarious because some of them were brilliant. Some of them were physical. So you just do like technical stuff. Huh. And I, like, he'd say, listen, listen, don't, you're standing side on to the audience. You're standing side on. Well, I mean, who's seeing you? The person opposite you, yeah, great. They get a great view of your face, but they don't see you. And the whole point is they're out there wanting to see you. So he said, like, you know, tilt your body at an angle. 45 degrees, you know. And then you're talking to the the guy who's opposite you and then, you know, turn your head out and and look around. And, you you know, they get to see you as well. And then you go back to the... other, And it was stuff (laughs) like that, Ah, which was like... Actually, you go... Jeez, man. And he said, like, yeah, it'll feel like you're being a, a, unnatural. Right. But actually, it's the most natural thing in the world. I mean, you know, when you're looking at something, you don't look at them all the time. Right. You occasionally look right. out and you, you know, and then you go back to them and then you, you know, you'll think about something, you'll look out, you know. And it was stuff like that that yeah, I, found, man, I found really fascinating.
1: Um, Do you think he admired you as an
2: actor? I think he was deeply conflicted. I think he was. He couldn't. He couldn't stop himself from wanting to be out there doing it himself. Really? <laughs> which was like, give me which that which like bloody Jason, sword! Just give me that! Da-
1: <laughs> wow! Yeah, how know, he was furious. That he. I mean, it was like when you when you play Cory for example. Oh when my god! 24, I mean, he 24. was just,
2: and he would give me these notes, and I remember saying to him, saying, "Robert, that would be great if I was sixty-four, but I'm, I'm." You know, I'm in my 20s. That's that's where he is. Right. I can't deny that I'm in my 20s. Right. So it's a different manner for me to play him at 20 than it would be at 64. Right. But you say, listen, you have to do it. Don't give me that. You've got to do it like this, you know. And I'd be like, yeah, but I can't do it like that. Shit. I'm not where you are, you know. Wow. And you sensed a sort of jealousy. Oh, totally. Yeah. He was... He was, he was um, I think he was just like this little bastard is out there doing <laughs> doing that part that I mean, I mean, and of course it was like a part that he would have in his in his heyday, he would have, you know, totally totally But he yeah. never got to play it, did no, he? No, no. Interesting. And in fact, he, he was very bitter in in many ways about I don't know about bitterly, I suppose yes, but he was frustrated that Olivier had sort of because Olivier was terrified of anybody coming up and, Olivier again
1: uh, yeah. Richard Eyre told me he was a piece of work yeah
2: and he was terrified of anybody yeah. coming up yeah. and yeah. snapping yeah. at his heels. Yeah. Yeah. so he would constantly keep you in he would get you in those parts that right. he needed you in right. by saying Bobby darling what do you want to play <laughs> How about, what do you want to play how, how about Anthony yes. and he'd be like God I'd love to do that with Maggie Anthony and Cleopatra yes that would be marvellous and then he'd go well we'll do it next season if mm. you just play this part you know like, and so my just dad carry the and spear he, but he would never when he, he then realised he got to a point where he realised you're never going to let me play these parts right right and R- um, Richard
1: Eyre said to me do you remember the only play that John Gielgud did at the National when Olivier was running it it was a play by Seneca <laughs> That noted box office <laughs> smash. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. How fascinating about your dad. It sounds like he just couldn't help himself. As an artist, he could not help himself. His desire for the thing oh. and for himself in the thing was bigger even than being it, a father. It, it was, and I think
2: that that's another reason why I have such... I have such empathy for him, really, because yeah. I think for... A lot of his career he wasn't allowed to do he 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 became you know because he had a long battle with booze and I think he he was just too dangerous for people to cope with so he he didn't get to play the the parts that you really wanted to play until right at the end yeah. when you know, bless him, Adrian Noble gave him those, yeah. those two roles. And he frigging smashed them. Smashed them out the, totally, of the And everybody was like, where the hell has yeah. this guy been? Because yeah. nobody can do this kind of stuff yeah. anymore. Right. And like, it, 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 you know, and I, and I think, so when
1: he saw me doing this stuff, it was just like, oh... And it was a similar time. You were almost contemporaries in Stratford, didn't he? Yeah, come the we year sort after? sort of swapped. Yeah, yeah he, right. he went to,
2: he was in London when I was in my first season. And, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then my second season, we swapped over again. And I mean, it was, a, it was slightly weird having that go on at the same time. <laughs>
1: Alright, that's the first part of my two-part chat with Toby Stevens. Ooh, it's a good one, eh? What about that stuff about Olivier <laughs> clocking Maggie Smith? Workplace abuse. My god, different different times. And the way <laughs> Maggie turned it into this sublime line as though written by Oscar Wilde, you know. It's the only time I've ever seen stars at the National. I mean, she is some different spirit. Anyway, I loved talking to Toby. Please come back and join me for the second part. He's magnificently interesting about all this stuff. He talks about his famous Coriolanus at the RSC when he was only 24, 25. Um, He talks about that sublime state that an actor... On stage can reach sometimes. Oh, how he had a deep conviction when he played Hamlet again at the RSC that Hamlet is essentially a religious play. He makes a brilliant case for it in a way that we don't often hear articulated. Oh, his career as a well-known theatrical sex pot, the role of chemistry on stage, and uh which iconic stage role makes him break out in a sweat to remember it. How Jessica Lange didn't like anybody laughing at Blanche Du Bois. What he gets from Jonathan Kent, who, a uh, great director, who's been his most frequent collaborator. What he needs from him, his own ambitions to direct himself. Oh, his experience doing a Florian Zeller play. The great Florian Zeller who wrote The Father, you know, that was turned into the movie with Anthony Hopkins and won Anthony Hopkins the Oscar. Toby just did his most recent play, The Forest. Oh, and the... Um, The difference he thinks between issue plays and the real thing. Please come back and join me for the second part of Toby, it's really worth it. Stage, stage,
0: stage door Johnny, stage, stage, stage door Johnny.